0: Been thinking about this lately This is what I suppose Welcome to the teaching ministry of Calvary Chapel South London You can visit us at calvarychapelsouthlondon.org I realize right with me. So I'm on my knees for understanding The more the world I see, the more I see Leave off in it, but I'm no of ring I got a lot to learn, so I'm living. Robert I'm one of the pastors here I'd like to welcome you if you're visiting as I said we are making our way through the the book of Acts and it's the history of the early church and um, today we're going to be looking at our third in a mini series and we're going to be talking about Philip the deacon evangelist this is part three and our topic today is the Ethiopian official The Ethiopian official and I'm going to start reading in Acts chapter 8 and I'm going to start reading in verse 26. There we go. Now an angel of the Lord spoke to Philip saying Acts chapter 8 verse 26 arise and go toward the south along the road which goes down from Jerusalem to Gaza. This is desert. So he arose and went, and behold, a man of Ethiopia, a eunuch of great authority under Candice, the queen of the Ethiopians, who had charge of all her treasury and had come to Jerusalem to worship, was returning. And sitting in his chariot, he was reading Isaiah the prophet. Then the spirit said to Philip, go near and overtake this chariot. So Philip ran to him and heard him reading the prophet Isaiah and said, do you understand what you are reading? And he said, how can I, unless someone guides me? And he asked Philip to come up and sit with him. The place in the scripture which he read was this. He was led as a sheep to the slaughter, and as a lamb before its shearers is silent, so he opened not his mouth. In his humiliation, his justice was taken away. And who will declare his generation? For his life is taken from the earth. So the eunuch answered Philip and said, I ask you, of whom does the prophet say this, of himself or some other man? Then Philip opened his mouth and beginning at this scripture, preached Jesus to him. Now as they went down the road, they came to some water, and the eunuch said, See, here is water. What hinders me from being baptized? Then Philip said, If you believe with all your heart, you may. And he answered and said, I believe that Jesus Christ is the Son of God. So he commanded the chariot to stand still, and both Philip and the eunuch went down into the water, and he baptized him. Now when they had come up out of the water, the spirit of the Lord caught Philip away, so that the eunuch saw him no more, and he went on his way rejoicing. But Philip was found at Azotus, and passing through, he preached in all the cities till he came to to Caesarea. Last week... We saw Simon the sorcerer uncovered, remember? Exposed by the experienced apostle Peter who, filled with the spirit, identifies the wickedness of Simon's heart. Peter mentions two things. One, the fact that he was full of bitterness. And two, that he was bound by iniquity full of bitterness, probably because the attention that he was so used to for such a long time had now shifted to Philip, who was performing astounding miracles that outshone Simons. And he didn't like the fact that he was now out of the limelight. He was bitter. He was also bound by iniquity or captive to sin, Romans 6 says that if you're in Christ, you are no longer bound. You are no longer enslaved or captive to sin. So we deduced that Simon was a false convert who wouldn't, or should I say, couldn't even pray for himself. Now that was verse 18 to 25. Now we've come to the conclusion of chapter 8. Today we're going to. Complete this mini series on the ministry of Philip, although we will see him a little bit later on. In this chapter, we're going to see a few things that I'd like to highlight at the outset. We're going to see some unusual supernatural occurrences. We're going to see the unflinching obedience of Philip. We're going to see a heavenly messenger. We're going to hear the Holy Spirit speaking literally. And we're also going to see the translation or maybe even the time travel of Philip from one place to another. Verse 26. Now an angel of the Lord spoke to Philip saying, Arise and go toward the south along the road which goes down from Jerusalem to Gaza. This is desert. If you have a look. You can see where Jerusalem is on the map, <clears throat> and just maybe if I do it like this. If you look at the arrow, you can see the journey or the distance from which was travelled from Jerusalem to this place, um, and it's funny because you know when you think about the the journeys of those who. travel in kind of biblical particularly New Testament times Um, sometimes we don't kind of grasp the fact that most of their traveling was done on foot Um, and so just hopefully, helpfully you can see just at least the direction in which Philip is encouraged to begin to travel now how many of you would like instructions as clear as this in terms of your walk and God's call on your life get up Imagine look, Tim sitting over there. Get up, <laughs> go south along a specific road in the direction of Gaza. Be like me saying, Tim, get up, get on a 37 bus heading towards Brixton. That's that's pretty clear instruction, right? But. As clear as that instruction is, he doesn't actually know where he is going. He knows the direction. He doesn't know where he's going or what he is to do when he gets there. Okay, well, that's not so clear now, is it? He knows the direction, but not the destination. He knows he has a purpose, but he isn't clear about the process. And notice the conditions of this area at the end of verse 26. Philip is leaving the hustle and the bustle of a great fruitful harvest. And he's got to go to an empty, deserted place, a desert. At this point, Philip could be thinking, what? Go to an empty, deserted place over. A bountiful, fruitful harvest type place? It's as if the the writer is highlighting the obvious yet unusual transition. Things have been going tremendously amazing for Philip at this time. Now imagine if you were Philip. How would you respond? after being in Jerusalem and moving up to Samaria and it being amazing and seeing the miracles, everyone knows your name. You've begun to get to know people personally in this Samaritan area. And now you've got to leave. I mean, the Apostles Peter and John have come up and they've endorsed your ministry. It's like, hey, at lunchtime, you're sitting at the table with the Apostles all these people who have got saved or different people who have been saved and as we said have transitioned out of Jerusalem because of the persecution they're now up in Samaria and they're with the big group but you're in the tent sitting with the big guys now I wonder if the same temptation that Simon was confronted with didn't begin to pull on Philip like hey look oh can you see him? Who? Philip. Who's Philip? Don't you know Philip? Uh-uh. Sit down, let me tell you. That's what you're becoming accustomed to. I wonder if it was difficult for him at this point now to have to get up and leave all of this. And now go somewhere he don't even know. How would you have responded in that moment? Now I know that it would have been tempting to stay where God was evidently blessing. And not even for bad reasons. But for good reasons. Particularly in stark contrast to a desert place. Yet without a word of complaint, verse 27. It says he arose and he went. No complaining, no arguing, no need of explanation. He's the kind of man who walks by faith. And not by sight. Philip is one of those understated characters in the New Testament, right? But he's amazing. He's one from whom we can take our cue. Because we, on the other hand, we need steps one through five in order before we go anywhere. In order for us to move ahead with any conviction, we'd be like, you know what? I really kind of need to know what's going on. I need to know where I'm going and what I'm going to be doing and how I'm going to finance it and so on and so forth. It'd be like getting married. So often you hear kind of individuals say, you know what, well, we want to get married, but um, we're not really sure when. Why? You, you believe the Lord has put you together? Yeah, 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 absolutely. Okay, so um, what are you waiting for? Well, I'm waiting till I finish... Either my degree, or I need to finish. You know then I'm saying, kind of, kind of accruing a certain amount of funds. And now I'm not saying get married without considering the implications, <laughs> because you can be in debt for the next 15 years if you're not careful, right? But I'm just saying, very often we need to have everything kind of mapped out before we come take that step. If you hang around the Bible long enough, you're going to find that sometimes you're going to get challenged beyond your comfort zone. Amen? Be are like, okay, Lord, well, I, I see the plan and, and I understand the plan and now I'm willing to execute the plan now that it's clear. But what if it's not clear? Do you trust the Lord enough to go anyway? Well, there may be someone waiting Because getting back to the point, we're talking about evangelism, we're talking about the gospel, if you remember the past six weeks as we've been in chapter 8. The whole emphasis is the expansion of the kingdom of God and the proliferation of the message of God, which is the gospel, the good news. And we know that Philip is a man that God is using to communicate that message, and so... Could it be if Philip doesn't respond to God's call, someone isn't going to get that which God wants to provide? Could there be someone waiting? Could there be someone praying? I mean, we're going to see that when we get to Acts chapter 10 with Cornelius, right? Could there be someone who's searching, who's dependent on Philip's obedience? We're going to see that there is. But how about us? Last week, Foxy and Ashley kind of came up and said, it's tough. We don't want to leave. But we sense that the Lord is calling us to Nashville, remember? Well, who knows if they don't obey that call, who God will not be able to minister to. And the same goes for for all of us. Like this man in the next part of verse 27. And behold, a man of Ethiopia, a eunuch of great authority under Candace, the queen of the Ethiopians, who had charge of all her treasury and had come to Jerusalem to worship. A man from Ethiopia who was very powerful. I mean, we're gonna see that that this man is being chauffeured. I mean, he's he's not walking, and he's not even on a horse, which would be big things. He's in a chariot. I mean, this would be the equivalent of a chauffeur-driven Mercedes, right? But like a diplomatic vehicle. Now, this man he served under Queen Candace. Candace is not the queen's name as much as it is the queen's title. It's a term that describes a ruler like Pharaoh. Pharaoh's not his name. His name is Amenhotep, or his name is Ramses II, or his name is Tutankhamun. His title is Pharaoh. Just like Caesar, you got. This guy, who's ruling and reigning, he's the Caesar, but yeah, what's his name? Well, his name is Augustus, or his name is Nero, or his name is Julius, but he is the Caesar. It's a title, and it's a, d- a dynastic title like Prime Minister. His name is not Prime Minister, even though he is called Prime Minister, his name is Gordon Brown. The President of the United States, in like fashion, this is Candice, or Candace, Queen of Ethiopia. History did not record her name, but she is possibly the sovereign ruler of Ethiopia. But probably the Queen Mother who performed certain functions, just like our British Queen Mother would kind of did and this man was her treasurer he was a chancellor of the exchequer presumably a black african man he had come verse 27 to jerusalem to worship he was actually on a pilgrimage attending one of the major feasts or festivals in israel As the Jews in Acts chapter 2, if you remember, who were from various different places. In Acts 2 verse 5 through 10 it says, And there were dwelling and visiting in Jerusalem Jews, devout men from where? From every nation under heaven. See, Jews were all over the place. And when this sound occurred, the multitude came together and were confused because everyone heard them speak in his own language. Because they weren't from random parts. Verse 7, then they were all amazed and marveled, saying to one another, Look, are not all these who speak Galileans? And how is it that we hear, each in our own language, in which we were born? Because they weren't born in Israel. Parthians, Medes, Elamites, those dwelling in Mesopotamia, Judea and Cappadocia, Pontus and Asia, Phrygia and Pamphylia, Egypt, where is that? North Africa and the parts of Libya adjoining Cyrene, visitors from Rome, both Jews and proselytes. So, this man was probably a Jew by birth or by conversion. If it was by birth, remember that Jews, as I said, had dispersed into Egypt and even beyond the borders of Egypt. And he could have had a, a Jewish mother or a Jewish father meaning he would have been mixed race. A nice combination, right? Jewish and North African. On the other hand, he could have been born a Jew. Sorry. On the other hand, he could have been born a Jew or he could have been converted. What is known as a proselyte. A non-Jew converted to Judaism. At any rate, this man is an official. He's a statesman. He 's a member of parliament type government representative verse twenty eight says he was returning that is from Jerusalem and the feast or the festival that he had attended and was tra- and was also i say also traveling who was also traveling as well as this individual who 's traveling there 's someone else that 's traveling south remember so He's traveling, and he's traveling in the same direction. He's going south on his way home back to North Africa. On the same road that we see Philip journeying on. Now we're getting ready to witness a divine encounter. I think of three divine encounters that I can remember. There's been more than that, but three that kind of come to mind. The first one was about 20 years ago. When I was, I just got married. We had started a little Bible study where we were living in Stockholm. Because when we first got married, we were living with Helen's, my wife's dad. And because he, he had a big place, and at that point, we weren't um, liquid to the point where we could go and purchase our own place. And so we were staying there. And he went to Australia for, I think he went for like six months. So as soon as he went, we'd just become Christians. As soon as he went, we started a Bible study in his house. (laughs) And uh, it was a real basic Bible study. The guys who have done discipleship have heard me tell this story a million times. Um, But it is applicable. So we start this Bible study. Real basic. I mean, so basic. It was like, okay, everyone, let's pray. Amen. You know what? There are 66 books in the Bible. 39 in the Old Testament. 27 in the New Testament. That's how basic this Bible study was, right? I mean, we were just talking about the book. We weren't even even getting into the content. You know what I'm saying? And so, people just started coming to this Bible study. And a lot of young people like that. So, it had been going for maybe, I don't know, a month, two months. And then one day, this this brother comes in with this high-top fade. (laughs) And he comes in with with his wife. They just got married themselves. And someone had invited them, who are, I, can't, I can't remember the last time I saw this person. I think Debbie McCullough. I don't know if any of you guys know Debbie McCullough from back in the day. Well, it was her that invited this couple. And so they come in, and like, I'm like, oh, what's going on, Debbie? Yeah, all right, safe. safe, safe. She's like, oh, I just want to introduce this to my friends. Do you mind if I, if, if I bring them to the Bible study? It was like, well, you're, you're already here, isn't it, with them. And so she introduced me to this girl called Judith and this guy called Ephraim. So I'm like, yeah, what's going on? He's like, yeah, what's going on, bruv? I heard that there's a Bible study here. And, boy, apparently it's heavy. There's enough young people. I'm like, yeah, bruv, come in, man. Look, the kitchen's over there. Go and get a drink and come back and we're going to get started in a minute. That's how I met Ephraim. Then check it. About a month later, if that, it probably was weeks. Helen probably remember better than me and none of them guys are in here so they can't say. But a couple weeks later, Another friend of mine who I worked with in the post office called Paul, when I got saved, kind of obviously sharing the gospel with different people, it was like the Lord just, it was like a landslide when I was working in the post office. About 20 people got saved in a space of about six months. I mean, you want to see people that's falling like nine pins in terms of getting saved, not falling over. But the Lord just swept through the place. And so there's me, just got saved, fresh green like grass, but sharing a gospel shared the gospel with this brother called Paul. He became really interested, become a Christian. He said, "Boy, Rob, you know, I've got a couple of friends. You mind if I invite them and come to the Bible study? I'm like, "Safe, bro. So he invited these two people. But here's the joke. They came up one evening. I think after we had started or... No, I can't even say it was after we started. But they came up and I got to meet them just before we got started. And Paul brought them in. And as they came in, all you could smell... Was was just a waft of, um, yeah, yeah, yeah. They'd been blazing in the car, if I remember rightly, if, if it was that first time. And, um, but anyway, they come in, and it's all good, in it? Because we're all from road, and it's like we're all kind of got a background, and we all are sinners, isn't it? So anyway, they come in, I'm like, amen. So they put, he comes in, and two people come in behind him, two little short people. <laughs> and I'm, And I'm like, I'm like... Wow, praise God, man. But, listen, from, if you know them from morning, these two, they are just always, they're, they're the designer couple. Whether it's, whether, it's, whether it's, you know what I'm saying, their house, come like Ikea showroom, right? Or their garments, like the way they dress. Always just on a next level, right? So here we go. Rob, meet Patrick, my long-time <laughs> brethren, and meet Sarah. I'm like, praise God. Oh, wonderful, man. Come in, come in. Amen. And that is how we met. And I would suggest that that was a divine encounter. Another account encounter I remember quite specifically is once when Ephraim and myself, Pastor Ephraim and myself, went to a church called Micah. And we went there to do some music back in 1990-something. And we went in and we'd done like a set, done about five songs, whatever, was encouraging the people. And that was back in the day when we used to kind of do the music ministry. And up, directly afterwards, I met all these different people. But there was one person that I met, when I shook this person's hand, I don't know. It's not even like there was electricity or I heard, like, a crack of fun, lightning and thunder and nothing like that. But I just know that when I met this person, there was just something special about this person. And um, so I shook his hand, kind of looked him in the eye and taller than me, good-looking brother. And he was there with his wife and his little girl at the time, little, tiny, little thing. And his son, who was, must have been about, what, seven back in them days or eight, not knowing that 12, 13 years down the road, I was going to be going to Jamaica to plant a church with this guy. It's Mark 5. And we knew when we met that, t- ask him. He's not in there right now. I think he's helping them guys move, Mo move, right? Ask him, and I'm saying, what happened when we first met? It was like, we, we, did it. we knew, but we couldn't put a finger on it, but there was something about that meeting that was gonna change the course of our lives. Um, same thing with um, my cousin. Guy that, who was sick and in hospital, on the brink of death, terrible heart condition. And I had, had no real relationship with this cousin of mine. Even though he's my first cousin, And if you ever see him, you'd know that we're cousins. Same, like my dad and his dad are brothers, right? You know it. As soon as you see us. Yeah, I had no real relationship with this brother. He wasn't a Christian, but while he was in hospital, had the opportunity to, in terrible, fumbling fashion, share the gospel with him. I mean, I was trying to share the gospel because I didn't know him. I'd be like, how can I share the gospel with this guy? I don't even know him. But it was like, you know what? It doesn't matter. He's on his deathbed. So (laughs) I bought him a book. And the Lord really spoke to him through this book. Um, I forget what it was called. Turning Points, it was called. So I come back and visited him. Must be a couple of days later. He was still in bed, still very seriously ill. And I noticed on the side, the book had a bookmark halfway through the book. I was like, whoa. And um, I think I must have asked him at the, you know, at the time after we kind of chatted about the weather and how, you know, everything else. Then I said, oh, would you mind if I just maybe prayed for you? <clears throat> you know what I mean? And he said, yeah, no problem. And then you know what he did? He sat up in the bed in the hospital and he put his hands together like this. You know, like a child would pray and he closed his eyes. That was what? Three, nearly four years ago? And I He's sitting right there in front of me. remember Patrick, Pastor Patrick was talking about prayer meeting and the fact that the Lord answers our prayers, I can't even lie. it's Harriet in there cow. I don't know if Cal was here, um, but we, we began to pray for Michael whilst he was in hospital, and most of you, some of you don't know the story, we don't have time to get into it today, but um, the Lord radically you know healed the brother, he's sitting there healthy, probably about to go play football with the guys afterwards, and again. He's another brother that I'm gonna be going to Jamaica to plant this church with. Just divine. Divine completely and that's why you can't depend on your ability or your cleverness, you know what I'm saying, or your anointing. You know what I mean? It really is just about you being available and being willing to, to go where the Lord wants you to go and to and to very um, even though you feel quite incapable, just being obedient. It's amazing how the Lord will use your life. I wanted to quickly talk about, because I think examples are good because you can relate to them, right? My car broke down. Cars have been an absolute nightmare for me. If you ever hear me get on the issue of cars, just find something more beneficial to do because I'll bend your ear when it comes to this car thing. Anyway... And I'm about to get rid of this other car that I got now as It's just a nightmare. I just ain't got no luck with cars. I think the Lord's just saying to me, you know what, Robert, don't set your heart ever on cars or cars are not you. I hate them, but <laughs> a passion. So my car broke down, took it to the garage. The, the, the man at the garage said, Boy, Rob, you know, it took him about a week, maybe two weeks. I'd be like, How you do without your car, right? So, okay, I had to go hire this car. Hired this car, in the car place, hiring the car. Like, grumbling and moaning, and I can't even lie. I'm a pastor. You know what I mean? Helen was there with me. Got this, this car that we're going to hire for a week or so. Just about to get into the car. A van pulls up with this guy in the van. And the guy in the van is... I mean, if I was screwing, this brother, I mean, it, you could hear it. I was, like, maybe 10 metres away from me. He jumped out the thing... What's wrong with you? Look, You said you were going to come and collect the van. You didn't come and collect the van. Now I'm late and I've got all this luggage. And he owns up the side of the van. He's got about seven bags, guitar, all this stuff. Apparently, the car people should have picked up the van. They didn't. So he's screwing. So I'm standing there. The guy don't know what to do. Turns around and says to me and Helen, I know this sounds a little unconventional and you don't have to, even though he's put me in a place where now it seems like I have to, you know, you don't have to say yes, but could you please take these guys to the station? So I'm there kind of standing up there thinking. B- before I could even conclude my thoughts, here's my wife. Yeah, no problem. Just get your stuff and put them in the back of the car. So you look know Helen, right? So anyway, before I know it, the stuff's going in the back. We're in the car and I'm driving to the station. I'm in Croydon. Do I know Croydon not that well, I just know the main road, so I'm around the back of something, I don't know, it takes us half an hour to get, not to Croydon Station, because I just find some road that I know, and that's me, and half an hour, and we're in Sydenham, and it wasn't too bad, because we got into this big conversation, and the guy was asking me what I do, and you know, who we were, and so we got talking, he was there with his girlfriend who was an Indian um, lady, and he was there, long, kind of blonde hair, like a rocker with ripped jeans, and, so anyways, in the back of the car, we arrive at Sydenham, and I'm like, look, I'm sorry it wasn't, he was like, no, no problem, no problem, It's, it's all good. go to the station, isn't it? He, <clears throat> he told us in his story that he was moving to the West End, so we're like, West End? I began to kind of tell him very basically what I do. Helen said, that's not what he does, that's not what they do, and she begins to, just brrr, all the stuff that we do as an organization, that's Urban Mission, not so much me as a pastor, but you know what I'm saying? So she tells him what this big old long story. So he's apparently really impressed, because we work with young people and so on and so forth. The guy takes out this silver car, card case, you know, the, the cases they keep their business cards in, he flicks it open, and he gives me his card. He says, you know what he says, he says? He says, call me, we should get together. Your organization and my organization should get together. I don't know, he's got some big... Inflated perspective of urban mission. Take his card and I look at the card. On the card it says Bebo. So I'm like hmm. Now if you have anything to do with young people. You know Bebo is a social networking site. It's like the Facebook for young people. So I'm like Bebo. Wow okay then. I look down on the card. Check it. Global head of music. i like, yeah, that was me. i am be like, bro. <laughs> so anyway, cut a, long, cut a very long story short. I didn't get back to him for about two weeks. Kind of snowed under and particularly because I didn't want the guy to feel like, <laughs> trying to, like I'm chasing him. So anyway, two weeks. And then I just, oh, I thought I better get back to his. Send him an email. He gets back to me. Robert, why didn't you contact me? Blah blah. blah. I've been mean, waiting for your email and you got to come down to the offices because we've got to talk and... So I said, to, I said to Pastor Ephraim, look, bruv, we, maybe we should just go down and check this out and see what's going on. We go down there, we walk into Bebo, up on just Rathbone Place, off Oxford Street, just by Tottenham Court Road Tube. Go in there, and they usher us into this big old business, this, I don't know, some, some suite where they hold their business meetings. Big old long table, projector and all this stuff. And then they walk. They walk all these other people in and begin to introduce us to the head of this department, the, you know what I'm saying, the, 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 the programming director and blah, blah, blah. So we're like, okay, and we sit down. And as I'm, as I'm introduced to one guy, a guy called Alistair, we have become really good friends with now. Alistair, is head of programming, programming at Bebo, young black guy. He's like, I'm, he's like, oh, my name's Robert. He goes, oh, Robert, yeah, he goes, how told me all about you when we were in California. I was like... So anyway, like I said, I'm trying to cut this long story short, isn't it? We, 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 we sit down, have, have this meeting, and they are blown away at the little tiny things that we're doing. I mean, so much so that they say, we want to work with you. We wanna... Now, that was six months ago. Now, it would take me probably a whole service to tell you about what's happened since then. It's been incredible. And I'm saying that the Lord has shown us amazing favor, And it's not just for us. It's more about his purpose. But you know, when you're walking in God's purpose, he's fulfilling that purpose, but he will bless you on the way. Now, I can't say that we've been blessed in any kind of financial way yet, but as an organization, we're hoping that it will be so that we can go on to do the work that we do in multiplied fashion. Last week, we had two major meetings with government organizations. Um, We sat down the week before at a symposium with the head, check it, the head of the gun and knife, no, the head of the anti-gun and knife crime unit. His name's Danny Lafayette. He's over the Metropolitan Police with regard to this issue of gun and knife crime and we're sitting down there with him. Last week we met another lady who is the head of this new coalition that the government have created, working in conjunction with Bebo. And this woman, oh my goodness, she, her last job was working for Red Nose Day. She headed up the whole thing, raised 80 million pounds. And as she's the head of this coalition, we go in have a meeting with her, it's supposed to be 20 minutes. We're in there for an hour and about a half to the point where we're having to say, she's like, this is amazing. I can't believe there's people like you doing stuff like this with young people. And we've been spending all this money and it's been going down the drain. And we were like, an hour and a half later, we're like, you know what? We're going to (laughs) leave because you need to be somewhere, apparently an hour ago. I'm saying like Joseph. I mean can you imagine Joseph in the temple of like Pharaoh's courts after 17 years of difficulty no light just bare darkness in his life you get me no hope 17 years and he goes from I'm not good at telling stories you know because I'm just too long but cut a long story short like Joseph we just got favor and it's not because of us you know I mean it's not because we're great it's not because of Anything other than just the grace of God and him wanting to take forward his purposes. So, I ask you to pray for us in regard to that. But getting back to my point, I'm talking about divine encounters. You can't plan these. They happen by divine intervention. It's all about being in the right place at the right time. And you know, as you walk with the Lord faithfully, most of the time, it's not pyrotechnics. You get me? And hype and excitement and paparazzi and most of, most of the Christian life ain't like that. On, the, on a level. But you know what? Sometimes, there are times when a David is sitting on one side of the mountain with his heart. Singing, the Lord is my shepherd. Looking over just some mangy sheep. Little, unbeknown to him, there's a battle going on. And they can't find the right man for the job. Because even the king is a joker. Let alone the rest of the army. And here comes a servant from his dad saying, I want you to take some cheese and some bread over to them at the battle. David is only concerned about being faithful, and he's concerned about his relationship with God. But you know what? God comes to get him. And overnight, like Joseph, my goodness, he's in prison with long beard and long gray hair, probably totally given up on any hope of any, oh, I remember back in the day, the the sheaves of wheat bowing down and the, the stars bowing down. Oh, yeah, That was just a dream. And then overnight, within 24 hours, the brother goes from a shave and a shower... ...to being the second in command in Egypt. I'm saying be encouraged regardless of where you're at. Be encouraged. And be faithful. Be faithful. Because he who is faithful in a little... She who is faithful in a little will also be faithful in much. And God ain't going to give you the much until you're faithful in the little. There's people grabbing and grasping for the much. But very often God didn't give it to them. And you know, when God gives it to you based on faithfulness, you don't have to grasp it and clutch onto it just in case somebody takes it away from you. You won't have to do that. you be like the Lord Jesus who didn't think it was robbery, to hold on to his throne. What? Go down to earth. Oh. He let that go. Because you know it was his. And there ain't nobody that could take that away from him. Temporarily it's all good. He'll come and do what he's got to do, but his throne is secure. You know what I mean? Your future in Christ, your your purpose is secure, but you have to remain faithful. Because that's your 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 faithfulness in, 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 you know, when, when, when it's lights, camera, action is predicated on your faithfulness in the small things. Please pray for Andy. Andy was someone that we was hoping going to be here today. Most of you guys know Andy who we met. He's a man who our paths crossed and he's going through a difficult time. We just ask you to keep him in your prayers. I believe that God has got a plan for that man's life still. Now, have you ever had a meeting that was evidently divine? Now I don't remember meeting my wife. That sounds strange, right? I mean I mean I was there, but I don't remember meeting her. There are occasions that I don't remember. I know that they happened because <laughs> I was there, but I don't remember the specific moment. I can't recall it. Helen, my wife, remembers. You can ask her and she'll tell you the story. Some of you from the Thursday night women's study, you've already heard it. Now, even though I don't remember the first time we met, in hindsight, I realized that that was the most important divine encounter that I've ever had next to accepting Christ. I believe that the Lord in his amazing, inexplicable That's unexplainable providence will allow you and I from time to time meet individual people that will change the course of our lives forever. This October 27th I celebrate 19 years of marriage. I think that I can safely say that meeting Helen has changed the course of my life. In more ways than one. <laughs> and by the way, I'm still in love with my wife. And 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 to be and to be completely candid, I actually love my wife now more than ever before. And I mean that. Every message ought to have a little bit of romance in it, right? You don't, you don't ever see a film and it ain't got some romance in it. Every, every message should have a bit Now hopefully that was some encouragement for those of you who just got married and you're going through that difficult period at the beginning, at the outset. We had it. I think most people have had it. It's probably the minority that don't have it. But hopefully that'll be an encouragement to you because as I've heard Pastor Ephraim say, marriage is like fine wine. It gets better over time. Smack two knows thought that I'm getting all sentimental up here. <laughs> A lot of us were at his wedding yesterday, right? And brother was bawling his eyes out <laughs> while making his vows. He was, cr- I mean, <gasps> <gasps> they were passing tissue. I was at the front, so I saw they were passing tissue, like regularly and consistently to the front to the point where I just think I saw Pastor Patrick's wife, Sarah. She just grabbed the box of Kleenex and brought it up the front. He was crying. It was beautiful. It was beautiful. It was beautiful. Divine encounters. Divine encounters. Me, me and my wife was a divine encounter. The God who sees and hears As Shagan said earlier, with regard to Hagar, you know, wherever you're at, the Lord sees and he hears. Your life ain't going to be like mine in a specific sense. You know what I mean? Your life ain't going to be like that person sitting next to you in a specific sense. Because if it was, then there'd be no need for you. Because it would either be you or me because why would there be two of us doing the same thing and i say that to encourage you to to shut your eyes and say lord what is your purpose for me and i'm saying where are those divine and i'm saying moments of intervention where my path is going to cross with someone and that relates to so many of us right in so many different ways a time when my life is going to cross the paths of someone and it's going to change my life forever Divine encounters. Let's continue to look at the text from which we gain our inspiration and our application. Verse 28. He was returning. And sitting in his chariot, he was reading Isaiah the prophet. Isn't it funny that this meeting happens along the way? Not in any specific place, but on the way. As Philip is walking in limited light. Clear yet incomplete light. Walking in obedience on the way. What was he thinking whilst he was walking? Man, it's dry and it's dusty. There ain't no one here. It's just me one. And I left that fantastic stuff that was happening back in Samaria. What was he thinking while he was walking? Well, whatever his thoughts were, they were about to be interrupted. Verse 29. Then the spirit said to Philip. Here's the second part of the instruction. Go near and overtake this chariot. Now here is another specific instruction, right? Which makes complete sense now that Philip is in close proximity to the chariot. Note if he hadn't responded to the first instruction to leave and go south in verse 26, He would not have been able to obey the second instruction in verse 29. The second set of instructions were predicated on Philip's obedience to the first set of instructions. And look at Philip's enthusiasm. Verse 30. So Philip ran to him. It's beautiful. Philip's got such a wonderful heart. He ran to him and heard him, that is the person in the chariot, reading the prophet Isaiah I suspect at this point, Philip and the Holy Spirit are both on the same page. Brother's running like someone into battle, and he's going into battle, into spiritual battle, right? Because in his heart is I'm gonna share the God. whoever this is, <laughs> they're gonna get it. Philip being evangelistically minded will never pass up an opportunity to share the gospel. Reminds me of my cousin Michael. It's amazing what the Lord has done in that man's life over the course of three or four years. Philip ain't gonna pass up this opportunity. And, and he says, look, do, do you understand what you're reading? You can't wait to get in there. Notice Philip heard him reading. He heard him reading. That means the official was reading out aloud. Right? Which could be an indicator that this intelligent official struggled to understand the text. Tempting to go into that book. We don't have time. Damien Kyle, Pastor Damien Kyle, says, whenever you struggle to understand something as you're reading, you tend to read it out aloud. And it's true. You ever, you ever been to Ikea and bought furniture? And you're trying to put it together. And you, re- you think, this stuff not me And then you start reading it out loud to yourself. <laughs> Take part A and screw 22 and... Right. So so Philip asks this guy because he's reading that aloud. Evidently, he doesn't understand. Do you understand what you're reading? And verse thirty-one. And he said, "How can I unless someone guides me?" And he asked Philip to come up and sit with him. Notice the humility of this man. I mean, he could have been. Who are you? Wait a minute. You know who I am. Just, just move away from the car, yeah, from the chariot. He says, how can I unless someone guides me? And he asked Philip to come up and sit with him. The place in the scripture which he read was this. He was led as a sheep to the slaughter, and as a lamb before its shearers is silent. So he opened not his mouth. In his humiliation his justice was taken away, and who will declare his generation, for his life is taken from the earth. Now I'm not going to go, I'm not going to take time to break that down because we've heard the gospel as we've been going through Acts so many times. um, Yet suffice to say, these verses are classic with regard to the Messiah, the coming Savior. Does this sound familiar, these verses? This is a portion of scripture taken from the Old Testament. Anybody know where in Isaiah? Chapter 53, amen. Verse 34 says So the eunuch answered Philip and said, I ask you, of whom does the prophet say this? Of himself or of some other man? This helps us to appreciate a few things about this official. One, his perspective. He evidently has a desire to understand his religion. Based on the scriptures. Two, his diligence. 2 Timothy chapter 2 verse 15 says, be diligent. King James says what? Study to show yourself approved. Be diligent to present yourself approved to God, a worker who does not need to be ashamed, rightly dividing the word of truth. He's concerned about what this really means, not what it might mean to him, which is what we hear a lot nowadays. I was listening to quote unquote Christian TV just yesterday, and someone got up, and literally, this is what they said The Bible was on the thing there somewhere, and they were over here. And I noticed that a lot of the preaching that you see on TV nowadays is very much like that. The Bible's over there, and the person's over here. Got your attention. Very animated. Now, I'm not against animation, as you know. You know what I mean? Because that's me. But this person, and it was a woman preacher, she said, you know, she said, I'm up here. And she says, I don't know what I'm going to say next. But I'm trusting that the Lord by his spirit is going to speak. Now, you know, now that's scary. It's all right if you're, you know what I'm saying, you're, you're... Fully familiar with the scriptures. I'm not saying that there are eight times. When we need to do that. And allow the Lord to speak. I feel like I've done that this, this, this afternoon. As I've been standing here. But so much of what you tend to see. Is everything other than that. What the Bible actually says. And it's dangerous. It's dangerous. That's why this is. Second 2 Timothy 2.15 is a verse. That you must memorize. And apply it to your life. Because if the scriptures can be rightly divided, guess what? The scriptures can also be wrongly divided. May God help us. This man, we see his perspective, one, two, his diligence here. You can see that he's committed to scrutinizing the text. He wants to know who is speaking. This is one of the fundamental principles of biblical hermeneutics or biblical interpretation. This guy was a Bible school student, but had never attended a class. This came by the Spirit, who is the great teacher. The third thing I'd like you to know is his humility. I mentioned it. Come and sit sit down next to me. Imagine who's the Chancellor of the Exchequer? They keep changing and switching. I don't even know who's who nowadays. I just about know the Prime Minister. Who is it? Alistair Alistair Darling. Can you see Alistair Darling, whoever he is, encouraging you to come and sit down in his limo? And come and converse over the scriptures? It could happen, but it's very highly unlikely that it would happen. And if it did happen, then that would show his humi- He don't mind you coming and soiling up his car or being seen with you or me. This man is extremely humble. We see his willingness, and not only that, we see his willingness to be taught. He asks Philip for understanding. This man is to be held in stark contrast, remember, to Simon the sorcerer who we met last week. Where Simon was a false convert, this African official is a genuine convert in transition. Verse 35, then Philip opened his mouth and beginning at this scripture preached Jesus to him. You know, Jesus is all up in the Old Testament. Jesus actually said that of himself. He said to the scribes and the Pharisees, you search the scriptures for in them you think that you have life, yet you will not come to me. And the Old Testament scriptures, you guys heard of, um, what's the guy that does 24 hours through the Bible? Chuck Missler. Chuck Mistler has got a series where he takes you through every single book of the Bible and he shows you Jesus up in every book with clarity. It's amazing. He preached Jesus to him. Check it. At the first opportunities that, 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 that Philip gets, he preaches Jesus. Notice Philip knew his Bible. Imagine being placed in a divine encounter that we would all love. The Lord having gone to all this trouble, right, only for you or I to be caught slipping. Imagine if Philip hadn't read Isaiah. Your usefulness in the hands of God is going to be directly related to your understanding of the scriptures. Your devotional time is imperative. This is a part of your devotional time. But what could you describe as other instances of your devotional time? See, that is a time that you spend on your own personal spiritual development. We bang on at you to develop your devotional life for a reason. See, the question is... How much do you want to be used? Verse 36, now as they went down the road, I like that, sounds like our kind of vernacular. As they went down the road, they, they came to some water and the eunuch said, see here, look, right here is water, what hinders me from being baptized? Now this is interesting, we suspect that obviously this official, being a Jew, knew something about washings and cleansings, being a Jew, because they were familiar with that, right? But I wonder if it was a case of Philip, as he's sharing the gospel, concludes or gets to the point where he's saying, you know what? In the light of all that I've said to you regarding Jesus, guess what? You need to do something now. You need to respond. You need to respond by putting your faith and your trust in Christ And then as genuine proof of that, you now need to get baptized. I don't know how the eunuch found out, but he now knows and he sees water and he wants to know what's stopping him from doing it. I want to go the whole hog. What is it I need to do? What must I do to be saved? Amen. Okay, now, if that includes me getting baptized, what stops me? Is there anything else I need to do? I mentioned it last week. With regard to baptism, First Peter chapter 3, verse 21, and this is the second section of it, says baptism. It's an interesting verse on baptism. It's not the putting away of the filth of the flesh. That is, it's not going down dirty, getting wet and coming up clean, that is really the issue. It's not the putting away of the filth of the flesh. You know, the, the Jews had rituals in terms of washing, ceremonially washing their hands. Can't eat before you wash your hands, right? Get rid of the dirt, now I'm clean. Peter's saying, you know, it's not even about that. Because Jesus sat with his disciples and they ate food and never washed their hands. To Wound up the, the, the scribes and the Pharisees, remember? So it's not about putting away the filth for the flesh. But baptism, check it, is the answer of a good conscience toward God. Again, because I mentioned it last week, I don't have to go into it too deep. But if you, if, if, if you what do I need to do to, to do to be saved? Well, you need to do A, B, C. Okay, amen, I'm happy to do it. Good. What do I need to do next? Well, next you need to get baptized. Oh, baptism. Well, you know what? I feel like the, the whole... Relationship with God is a personal thing, really. You get me? And I, I trust in Jesus and, and so on and so forth, but to get baptized what in public? No, nah, man, I can't do that. Well, if, if that's you, then there's something wrong. It indicates that there isn't a good answer because there isn't a good conscience toward God in a complete and total and unequivocal sense. Again, in contrast to the baptism of, of Simon, um, we said last week that baptism doesn't prove that you're saved. But baptism does prove that you're saved. If you get baptized for the right reasons, it is a good indicator that you are saved. But again, we don't believe in baptism or regeneration. Verse 37 And Philip said, You know what? There ain't nothing stopping you from, from getting baptized. Apart from, let me just make sure and clarify if you believe with all your heart, you may. And he answered and said, he added to it, check it. You can tell this brother's convinced. He says, I believe that Jesus Christ is the son of God. Seems like Philip done a good job at sharing the gospel from Isaiah 53. I believe it. So he commanded the chariot to stand still. And both Philip and the eunuch went down into the water and he baptized him. Now, when they came up out of the water, notice two things. They went down into the water and came up out of the water. Full immersion. The official was an adult, not a baby. Pedo-baptism isn't biblical. That is where, well, I got baptized as a baby. I don't need to get baptized again. Mm Mm-mm. There ain't no examples of babies getting baptized in the New Testament. Not one. Repentance and faith precede baptism. A baby cannot repent. A baby can't express biblical faith. I mean, a baby can't even talk. Verse 39, the second section, The Spirit of the Lord caught Philip away. So that the eunuch saw him no more. And he went on his way rejoicing. Wow. This Ethiopian official. Evidently touched and affected by God. By the the simple sharing of the gospel. And then he goes on to go to the rest of Africa. And take that message to that continent. Verse 40. But Philip was found at Azotus. And passing through he preached in all the cities. Till he came to Caesarea. Caesarea. Philip. Was translated. It says in verse 39. He was caught away. One minute he's standing before the eunuch. The next minute he's gone. He disappeared. And he was transported from one place. To another. He disappeared. Then reappeared. Somewhere else. That is heavy. One moment. He was where? In Gaza. The next minute he disappears from Gaza and he appears right there, just south further south of Gaza in Azotus. <coughs> then he leaves Azotus and he travels to Caesarea, which is You probably can't see, it's just behind that lamp. <laughs> it's just left of the kind of the border of Galilee and Samaria. So he walks, possibly, all the way from Azotus, which is where he was translated to, from Gaza. He walks up all the way to Caesarea, preaching and sharing the gospel in all of these other cities, which is his habit of a lifetime. Philip's life, a lesson in obedience be encouraged believers to share the gospel even if you feel really limited in your ability share the gospel if you're not a christian and you don't know how to share the gospel you're not even fully clear as to what the gospel is essentially it's about being exposed to jesus and I would like to give you an opportunity once the service is finished, or once the teaching is finished, if you need to, you can come up front. You can have a chat with myself or any of the guys. I think most of the guys are not. And I think it's me. One, it's all on me. I feel, amen. I feel like Philip. The Lord will help me. Um, and I'll try and expose you to Jesus, in order that you might experience the same kind of joy that this Ethiopian official does in verse thirty-nine. And so we conclude chapter 8 with the conversion of the Ethiopian official. Next week, we will begin to look at a man named Saul. The Ethiopian official took the message to Africa. We're going to see Saul take the message to the world. Amen? Amen. Let's pray. Father, again, we're grateful. So grateful for your word. Thank you that it is our we we need it above our necessary food. Thank you that man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds from the mouth of God shall men live. And we thank you, Father, that we have your word. Some people in different places around the globe, Lord, they have a page of the Bible, if they're lucky. And we got, we got, we got, Many, multiple translations on our bookshelves at home. And yet, Lord, do we appreciate it for what it is. I feel like this morning, Lord, you reminded me, you reminded us. uh, Just that the, the richness of your word. I thank you, Father, that Jesus is the word become flesh. And as we get to know your word... We get to know Jesus. Because Jesus is inseparable from his word. So help us in our relationship with you, we pray. As we give ourselves in devotion. Father, in order that we might be genuinely used by you. Lord, we want to be sharp, precision instruments in your hand. And we know, Lord, the the only answer to to that is going to be our exposing ourselves to your word, Lord. So help us. Help us as we transition through the book of Acts. Help us, Lord, in our own personal lives. Help us, Lord, with regard to your purpose for our lives. Help us to have faith like Philip. Help us to be obedient like Philip. Lord, our concern ain't. I ought not to be, oh, I'm not sure if I really want to do that, Lord. The only concern we ought to have, Lord, is are we hearing your voice clearly? And Lord, th- that we would then respond. As we know it's you speaking to us. We have to be careful, Lord, because there are many voices. And again, your word is going to be that which is going to be the barometer. It's, it's that which we're going we're to be able to measure everything else by. It's the standard. And as we measure it, Lord, and we weigh, we weigh up everything that we hear, even if it's prophecy, Lord, like even this morning. Lord, help us to test all things, prove it, and then hold fast to that which is good. Help us with regard to your word, Lord, and your purpose for our lives. In Jesus' name, for Jesus' sake, amen.